successful in terms of doesn't have to be money success, but it can be like contribution or impact. It's always this like upwards and forward sort of progress curve. Most stories around us and people around us are somewhere in between. They don't have to be improving or growing. They're just wonderful as they are. Purpose Tea Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A very warm welcome to episode 91 of Purposely with the founder of Storio, Alina Ashenbaeva. It is based on a successful photo blog, Humans of New York. It celebrates the origin stories of women and gender diverse people in New Zealand. Alina is a migrant of Aotearoa. She's passionate about equity, education, and community well-being. She's also a podcaster. Enjoy the episode. Alina Ashenbaeva? Yes. Killer. Ashenbaeva, that's the one. Did I get it? Yes, almost. I mean, you know, it's a it's a tough pronunciation, but it's actually pronounced almost exactly as it's spelled. So I'm always uh, excited when people try. <laughs> so good on you. <laughs> Welcome to Purposely Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm quite excited. You are the founder or co-founder of Storio. It's a platform sharing stories of people, of women and, and gender diverse people in Aotearoa. How did it come about? What's its overall mission? Yeah. So, oh, do we want to do a, a long, um, let's, let's dive into it and see how it goes. So we started actually almost exactly three years ago. It was June, 2019. And it came from, um, I have done a lot of work and I am doing a lot of work in diversity, equity, inclusion space. And, you know, I co-organize women and non-binary in tech Auckland events and a whole bunch of stuff like that. So my kind of world was always around how do we provide equity or build spaces and whatnot. Um, and at a time, three years ago, my partner was doing some content, like just some interviews with founders and for his marketing business. And he just kind of came home and he was like, Alina, you always talk about, you know, there is the equity inclusion and I'm learning a lot from you. And what I'm noticing is when I'm doing, when I'm searching for people, when I Google like, you know, New Zealand founders or whatever, like New Zealand companies, small businesses, it's always very white, very male. And he, my partner is a white male. And he was like, huh, I didn't realize how like, spread that was <laughs> in terms of the media portrayal of particular i think it's definitely changing now for sure so he was like hey what if we just interviewed women and gender diverse non-binary folks and we kind of like changed the idea a little bit of like oh what if we interviewed doesn't have to be founders could be anyone what if it's uh teachers and social workers and sex workers and just friends around us and so we kind of dove into that and for the first I think here I just gave myself permission to do it because I loved it and not try to measure anything or not try to do any, you know, like, is this a thing? Where it's going? What are the metrics? How, you know, it, none of that. It was very like, let's see if I enjoy this. And if I enjoy this in six months, I'll continue. And if I enjoy this in another six months, I'll continue. And it kind of became this space for myself and for small group of friends around me and then their friends and then you know kind of circle grew a little bit of the stories that are very contrary to the classic success narratives in the media that we see something that i struggle with to this day even though you know for three years it's been my mission with story i still battle with that like the idea that if you are successful or in you know i put in in quotation marks like successful in terms of doesn't have to be 
money success but it can be like contribution or impact it's always this like upwards and forward sort of progress curve and most stories around us and people around us are somewhere in between they don't have to be improving or growing they're just wonderful as they are like all my friends you know and people that i've interviewed i never thought of them as oh if only they did x if only they did a bit more if only their music was a little bit better you know it was always like they're wonderful as they are right now so that was kind of the mission yeah i've had some uh, love for sort of hero stories but equally i i also like the fact that um you know you've focused on on people and and all of the failings and all of the challenges and and all of the difficult stuff as well because it's like you say it's not a straight line based on humans of new york and you know going from the start when you began to not caring about the metrics not caring how many businesses you had or what are you now? Are you and, and give us a feel for how su- successful it's been. Good and tough question. I love yeah. It's best in human engineering. Actually, the book is right next to me. There was a book that my partner got me because I would read every story on Facebook from humans of New York, and so he got me a book for one of my birthdays or Christmas or something. And I just love it so much. So I'm still very much inspired by that. I think in terms of how a story has evolved, we. I mean, I try to you know sometimes I show numbers of like. You know, we've done 175, I think. I haven't counted. It was 150 last time, but I've done around 25 since then. So around 175 interviews. And in terms of, I think, measurements, I really try not to be, I really try not to focus on it. I just found myself, and I would, Mark, I would love to hear from you as well what you think about that, because I found that whenever I would put any numbers, whether they are really good or really not good, depending on that story or post or whatever, it just didn't, it just didn't do me any good. I felt like it was focusing on the wrong sort of, yeah, metrics. What I did find wonderful measure is that I am trying to be very, very in depth relationship with everyone I've interviewed. And we started doing events a year ago, which kind of became maybe every few months. We did like, I mean, you know, with lockdowns and stuff, we did maybe six or seven events in the last year and a bit. And it's always like, seeing people in person, being able to, for example, you know, we have poets and we did a poetry night and I interviewed I interviewed them before, but inviting them back and being able to get sponsorship to pay them to read the poetry at an event whenever, you know, when everyone's there just to like feel good and celebrate. Those moments I find I'm trying to focus more on them uh, because they, they feel like a true, yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, Mark? I think it's that community, isn't it? It's, um, your, when I look at your site and I, I read the stories, I listen to people talking and, and this, this creating this sense of community, uh, with, with like-minded people potentially or completely unlike-minded people. It struck me, is it where you want to, to be now? Where do you want to take it in the future? Is it something you'd like to do full time? Cause you've got, you've got a day job, haven't you? You, uh, yeah. you work for the Auckland DHB during the day and, and what you do this by night. I love insight into how you, how you make it all happen. Cause you seem to, yeah. do you sleep? <laughs> I mean, you know, um, as you, as you know, I have COVID at the moment and my day four and a lot of my friends have been messaging me being like, I'm hoping, I hope you're resting. I hope you're resting. And I was kind of getting frustrated with it. I was like, why do everyone think that I'm not resting? Like, I am very aware that I need to rest. And then uh, a lot of people said, well, because you just do so much. And I was like, huh, okay. I am, I guess I do do a lot, but it's definitely within the, you know, the well-being, like I never push myself to the 
space that I feel like I'm sacrificing my well-being, my health. So it was kind of funny for me to, you know, get this kind of messages and comments. But in terms of, yeah, how I do it. So I actually like talking about it because I feel like it's a, it's a bit of a mystery. It was for me when I started. I saw a lot of people who did podcasts or um, social ventures or events. And I always wondered, I'm like, oh, wow, these people must be like doing this full time and living on it. And, you know, I, I guess I just, I didn't have a good clue <laughs> or a window into what this look, life looks like sometimes. And for some people, it is a full time gig, which is awesome. I probably started spending way more time on story a year ago. So before that, it was just me doing written interviews. Uh, you know, we got into COVID almost a few months after I started. So it was a lockdown time as well. But a year ago is when I started raising some sponsorship, organizing events. I have a team of volunteers that joined me as well. So it kind of grew in my time commitment and in my headspace commitment, I guess. And definitely I have paid myself uh, for the first time. Well, I haven't yet, but I am going to, like my end of the year accounting is happening <laughs> with my accountants at the moment. I uh, paid myself a little bit this year, but I am full-time working and Six months ago, I decided that I can't really do, like, I want to spend more time on this, not just do it in the evenings. So I cut my job to three and a half days a week. So I'm at Auckland DHB for three and a half days, which allows me to pay my bills. And I love, I mean, I love the job as well. <laughs> and gives me that, you know, extra three and a half days a week, I guess, to just do this work. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the balance that I'm striking at the moment. And people are really authentic on it on the site, and and their storytelling is incredibly honest. Is that just the people you speak, or is it is it how you position it to them? Because you know, people lay bare their journey. Oh, oh, Mark, thank you for that. I, I I'm quite grateful for that aspect of Storio, and I think it's a good question because I have done for a job, I you know, being an experienced designer and a product manager and. I do a lot of interviews and engagement with people to find out what their problems are. So I feel like for the longest time I've been doing that anyways. And I think the reason why I've been kind of good at it is because I'm just genuinely very curious. Like, you know, I would never, whenever I did my, you know, user testing even for, for, for job, it was always because I just was so curious about what people's life were like, what were they doing and stuff. So. I feel like I always build this connection with people in that sense. And I think Storia was like maybe me getting better at it as to just have this chat with them and be just genuinely curious about what their life is like and, and share my learnings and my challenges as well with them. Although you don't, you don't hear that often because I cut a lot of myself out from interviews, from video interviews, for example, that I've done. I've completely cut myself out from the podcast recently. I leave a little bit, but. I do share quite a bit with them. So I feel like it's a nice give and take relationship and people feel like I'm, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm a bit proud of it, I guess. <laughs> what I could say is that people do feel like they hopefully leave feeling like they had a good conversation with a friend. And I usually actually like probably with most people that I've interviewed, I've become friends and people that I haven't is because maybe they're, you know, we've like live far away from each other or something like that. But that's been a genuine kind of drive is that I meet someone, ask the questions, and then we, yeah, connect in other ways in our lives, which has been really cool. And I'm really grateful for that. And focusing on you and, and um, you know, on the basis that you cut yourself out of your own content. Um, <laughs> so you were born in the 90s in, in Kazakhstan, is that right? And you moved to New Zealand when you were 16? Yes, correct, correct. I moved in 2011. 
tell us about emigrating to New Zealand and, and being, you know, teenager arriving in Aotearoa. <laughs> yeah. So I, my mom always wanted us to immigrate, like leave Kazakhstan. I think uh, she was a single mom and she's Russian and there's layers of kind of like interracial, you know, tensions, <laughs> if I say it in a nice way, back home and corruption and definite misogyny and patriarchy. So mom, even though she really like loved, obviously, you know, it's when you're born and there was so much connection to it. I think she just wanted to make sure that we don't, um, her kids don't go through some of the, especially, you know, as being a girl, like they're going through patriarchy situation back home. So we, she wanted to immigrate. And when I was 16, we were applying for universities overseas and, um, New Zealand was just a really, I literally knew zero, like nothing about New Zealand. I did not know where it was on the map. I couldn't tell you one thing about New Zealand, but we went to this international kind of school recruitment place. And we were talking about, you know, classic places like UK and Canada and Australia. And they were like, what about New Zealand? Cause I was I was going to study biomedical sciences and University of Auckland was actually one of the top in the world for that at a time. At least I'm not sure what it is now. So yeah, I kind of, you know, went to this international school. They said the next, well, we were going to go in the year, but they said the next recruitment or the next enrollment is in two months. So I just kind of got up and went and uh, it was kind of tough, you know, coming. I it wasn't tough and it was tough. It wasn't because I always knew we were going to immigrate and I was always going to try and help mom, support mom to leave the country as well and to kind of have a, you know, classic immigrant story, have a better life, blah, blah, blah. And also it was hard, I guess, just, you know, the realities of being so far from home as a 16 year old living in a homestay family that wasn't too, they were lovely, but just, it didn't feel like home. And it was, yeah, just, just really far. It's really expensive to like travel. You know, if I wanted to go back home, I couldn't just like hop on the plane. It was like $3,000 and 20 hour flight. <laughs> so that was a tough, tough place to be. And do you remember your first kind of reflections or thoughts when you arrived? Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, I was 16, so probably nothing too profound, <laughs> but I, um, I remember cause I was sold, you know, I, it's actually something that I talked to on my podcast recently, past the mic, uh, with lots of ethnic community members here in New Zealand and sort of from immigrant backgrounds, because I think when you are in those countries, you kind of get sold the idea of this sort of Western world where everything is beautiful and, and nice and easy and just get a job and then healthcare is good. And this is good. And this is good. So for, I think from that perspective, it took me a little bit, but even like in the first year, I definitely could reflect on like, huh, this is not the like poverty, domestic violence, like unemployment, housing crisis, like all the things were super real here and are super real here. So that was a bit of a shock, I guess, uh, for me when I first came. And I think more of a shock when my mom came here five years ago because she had it way tougher than me. You know, I was 16. I kind of, you know, slotted in really easily. It was way harder for mom here. So that was, a, you know, reaction there. And a, a funny reaction, I remember, again, because I knew nothing about New Zealand. Um, I think, I don't know why, but the way we thought about it was that it's going to be really... This beautiful summery, uh, you know, warm country. And I, um, even though it's quite, you know, it gets quite cold, um, and hot, both like extremes in Kazakhstan inside the house, temperatures are really controlled. I remember I came here, it was October. Maybe it was 2010, 2010 October. And it was quite cold. And I remember coming here and, be, and I was inside the house, lying under three blankets, being like, what the hell? I thought it was a, 
I thought it was this beautiful beach haven. <laughs> yeah, that was my two random reflections when I came here. And your mum, you said, had it tougher. Do we, well, does New Zealand not treat migrants very well? Was was there sort of a lot of barriers that she faced? A hundred percent, yeah. I think New Zealand, but to be honest, every country, I mean, you know, if you just listen to anti-immigrant narratives in almost every Western country, and I understand, you know, like I can empathise with people, yet I don't agree. So a lot of the narratives around just racism in general, I think I, because I'm quite outspoken and quite like headstrong in a way and had the privilege of, you know, having education here. So in a way, I like tick the boxes. I have a good job. I have a good, I have a high skill education. I had all those things that kind of like gave me a little bit of an up. And I'm quite, again, as I said, headstrong person. I probably haven't experienced as much of like sort of racism or, or discrimination. And I became really aware of it maybe when I was like a little bit older, when I was maybe around 20, um, just seeing my mom come here and suddenly kind of making friends with different more people here and just seeing what kind of comments my mom would get. I just found them absolutely unacceptable and quite upsetting. They really opened my eyes. I think probably that was one of the reasons that I started the work that I'm doing now as well is around storytelling and equity and diversity and stuff because yeah it was quite tough in that sense but also I mean you know imagine coming from a different country different education my mom used to run like used to be the she had MBA back home she did all this like fancy jobs with directors of companies blah 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 and coming here and people would say oh I don't really know what this university is or I don't really know if these jobs are relevant or I don't really know all these things and kind of if she applies for something, she has to either get told she's overqualified or, you know, irrelevant experience. And, you know, from that perspective, it's really tough. And I think it's it's a very, really classic migrant story that I heard from almost everyone that I've interviewed recently around ethnic sort of communities here. Yeah. And the sense that often the parents, um, huge sacrifice to come, spend years trying to integrate um, and often, you know, have to live very different lives um mm-hmm. they, they you know sacrificing for their for their children are you, you both happy here now yeah i mean i've always like it's been kind of become my home probably i don't know how many years ago i kind of started calling new zealand my home but it's been 11 12 years my mom is definitely like you know kind of settling and happy being here than back home but also i guess you're just really aware of that whole okay there's difficulties everywhere and it's not this idea of like, you know, I think Western countries are doing better while in many regards, like they're doing maybe better, but in a lot of regards are doing similar, sometimes even worse in some statistics. So it's been a little bit of, I think, I think awakening, but even though that I think I just definitely feel like New Zealand is definitely home and I'm all my work and all my, you know, passions and everything, everything lies within the community here. So, um, although one day I would love to go back to Kazakhstan and like in some way I don't know how or what it is but I would love to contribute or do similar work back home as well maybe not I wouldn't move there <laughs> like forever <laughs> but I would definitely love to like go back and yeah just contribute back home somehow too fantastic and so you ended up at Auckland University and you studied biomedical sciences and you particularly focused on breast cancer and and particular gene so I'm thinking Alina in a lab um, Alina, Alina talking uh, to books, and I'm thinking actually the Alina I've seen actually is not going to stay in the lab. She's going to be go out there and investigate 
the origin stories of people. How was that period of time? And, and um, you know, do you reflect back and go, actually, you really enjoyed it or was it quite right fit for you? Or Yeah. Oh, good question, Mark. I love that. You know, it's always funny, right? Being on the other side of being interviewed. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, it's so nice <laughs> to talk about myself <laughs> for a change. So, yeah, it's, I, I really, I did really enjoy studying biomedicine. Like, I really, really enjoyed my uni years again this privilege of that because i know a lot of people don't but i guess it just i've always liked studying uh so it kind of came easy to me and i just science fascinated me like i um me and my best friend did a um who also did biomedicine we would sit in every class and we would like just be so fascinated with everything we were learning around i don't know just the human body is just incredible and working in the lab was really awesome but as you're saying, it has definitely felt probably a bit too low energy for me. And I guess, well, I mean, there's that, but then there's definitely, I mean, you can still be in science and be very like high energy, depending on where you are, like which, you know, where, where do you work exactly? But I remember, yeah, I was, I did my honors in cancer, breast cancer, and then I worked in immunology, cancer and immunology lab for almost two years. And even though it was, I loved it. I think at the time I just realized that my, like most of my teenagehood, well, all of my teenagehood and then the young, being a young adult, I only really thought and knew and was like much about science. Cause I always thought I'm going to be in science. That was my own, like, this is, this is it. This is my life. And I think, you know, when you're going to get to the age of like 20, like early twenties, you're like, there's so much other stuff I could explore. And because I'm Kazakhstan, we have to do every subject at school. You know how in New Zealand, you have to choose like four subjects or something in high school. We did everything. So we did from literature to art, to history, to languages, to sciences and stuff. So in that way, I knew I was always curious about everything, but I sort of decided that medicine is the, or biomedicine is the way. And in my early twenties, I was kind of like, wait a second, there's all these other things. So I almost felt like I had to kind of go out and of that path that I thought I said for myself. Cause you know, when you, especially now you get, when you're 20, you're like, oh, I'm just going to finish this degree and get this job and be in this job forever. <laughs> like, that's what you kind of think. And then um, it was so nice to be able to actually early on question that and not be hung up on this, like, idea of what career path is like or should be like. Yeah. You went on and did a, a design thinking course and, and human rights and, and sort of um, really expanded. I mean, when I look at your your history and your, and your um, kind of career, huge amounts of time given to volunteering is that you know with st john's with the green party lots of other opportunities that you've taken have you always been sort of hungry to to get out there and and give and and contribute yeah for sure mark that's kind of been the actually the thread of all my work really is contribution and how do i give back and all my all my work was around it i guess that's what i thought by medicine well that's why I did biomedicine in the first place is because it was like, I thought, you know, when you're young, you don't really know all these ways you can contribute back to community, but science and medicine was really obvious because, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of know like three jobs, right? Doctor, lawyer, whatever, firefighter. So in that regard, that's what I thought science uh, was for me. And then I sort of found all these other ways. St. John, uh, yeah, I was volunteering at the hospital. Actually, I would have been still volunteering if it wasn't for COVID because I, I had to, we had to stop because the hospital has been, Auckland Hospital has been closed to volunteers for two and a half years now, ever since March 2020. 
so in a way i think now i kind of see it as you know i'm 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 i guess i'm a volunteer on 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 boards you know it's a i don't know if you could call it volunteering i guess you are you know you're not getting paid for your time but you know the contribution in that sense um storyo and all the work that i'm doing has kind of always been about giving back and i think having storyo and in the last few years surrounding myself with people that are just also so wonderful contributors in the space has been kind of eye opening for me a little bit i think for a long time i just felt very hung up on my contribution like it kind of felt like i have to do more i have to do more constantly have to do more i'm not i'm not it wasn't it wasn't that i'm not good enough it was that i'm not doing enough that's kind of where i was coming from it's still i mean it's still there in me it's still a lesson that i have to learn my whole life really to do story and to feel all this love for all these people and not to feel like they have to do anything more because they're already contributing in their beautiful way it's been my lesson to figure out how to not have that pressure on myself i guess and give me an insight into your day and your week cuz you seem to cram a lot in are you a list person <laughs> uh, how, how do you structure things oh gosh i don't think i've ever talked about that to anyone so i don't I, i'm not a list person i don't like lists i feel like because they just give me anxiety of like constantly having to do more or constantly having to tick things off although i i, I mean you know i still i still get the anxiety anyways but i'm a calendar person so i put all my work that i need to do in my calendar so if i know i have to do prepare for a talk i rather than saying it is it it's a um list item i'll just put it in my calendar okay tuesday 6 p.m. looks like i'm free for an hour i'll prepare for the talk boom now it's there i don't have to worry about it i don't have to think about it until tuesday 6 p.m. <laughs> so this kind of how i organize it in terms of my week so i work monday to thursday lunchtime Uh, at Oakland DHB, I spend probably oh I don't know gosh hours wise maybe twenty hours a week on Storyo. Additionally to that, I'll just you know make it up. I don't know what the numbers actually. Usually Saturday, Saturdays are board meetings. So not every Saturday, but like every second third Saturday, will be um, a board meeting of some sort for one of the organizations that I'm on. I do aerial circus, so it's like my exercise, meditation hobby thing. Three times a week or four times a week, I go either to a dance class or a circus class. And what else do I do? Gosh, I think I mean that's pretty much it. And then just do you chill out. Do I chill out? Oh, I mean, yeah. It's like I think you know. I, um, I was laughing with a friend the other day. I think people think. that doing all this is like there's no time to chill but i feel like i have so many oh it's a bit of a bad habit i think i need to better chill i have this i i i'm a scroller you know going on your phone and being like oh i'll just relax by being on my phone which is not at all relaxing which i'm i'm really trying to get better at but it's been a journey <laughs> i'm sure I'm, i'm sure everyone else might um like have their own version of that but yeah i go to bed at 12 so i feel like between like 10 and 12 usually i'm just like watching tv and doing crap all and chatting to my partner although probably one good chill out thing we started doing 5 months ago we started going for one hour walk every evening with my partner before going to bed at like 9 to 10 p.m. we go for a walk and that's been the most wonderful chill out time and i haven't been able to do it in 5 days because i've had covid and even like just standing for more than 2 minutes is kind of tiring before we wrap up just want to fire some quick fire questions at you if that's okay what are you reading what are you listening to oh 
I am currently, I just started reading book, um, let me see who all the authors are, the book is kind of right next to me, it's called Imagining Decolonization, uh, it's actually, well, I know it's by Moana Jackson, but it's also by six other authors, and I, um, just before Moana passed away, I saw this book um, online, and I was like, oh, I would love to read this, and I bought it, and I think a few days later, Moana uh, passed away, so... I'm reading it now. I'll read slowly. And what am I, what was that the question? What am I listening to? What am I watching? Yeah, you're probably listening to your own podcast and doing a lot of editing, I imagine. Yes, that's been, that's been a big chunk of my last three months because I recorded 15 podcasts and it's just been a lot of listening and editing. Although I finished, we finished editing. So I'm not doing that. So I think I'm maybe giving myself a bit of a break from listening. I'm just watching trash TV, if I'm honest. <laughs> Wonderful. And in terms of, um, you know, person you'd most like to have lunch with, dead or alive? Oh, I always, I was always wondering how people answer this question. I have this thing that I admire a lot of people that I don't know, like Brené Brown would be one of them, but I just have no desire to meet them in person. <laughs> like, I just, don't, I think, I think they share a lot of their wonderful knowledge and I'm, grateful to be able to consume it through podcasts and books and so yeah i i probably probably just with friends to be honest i'll give this like a lame answer yeah just i don't really have this need to have lunch with anyone specific i just would love you know i admire people from afar and i think i'm okay with that and people who are around me would love to catch up with them all the time <laughs> so yeah that would be my answer and in terms of someone out there that excites you they're on a mission and you're sort of you know championing them from the sidelines is there someone we should look out for oh good question gosh ev i mean you know i kind of have to say that everyone on story like i think there are some people on story that are maybe a little bit more known like you know for example two people that come to my mind is girls that invest recently has become huge kind of podcast you know financial um, feminist podcast, um, we interviewed them. Someone like Sonia Renee Taylor, who is my like icon. Um, she's an author and a poet and advocate for so many things, including Black Lives Matter and um, body size and self-love and stuff like that. But I feel like what would be nicer is to look up to someone even on story oh, that you might not know, just a person who is like, you know, a social worker in the community and read their story because I feel like those stories are just, yeah, they just give me so much more power because someone who is around us who has shared something vulnerable and I think those people deserve to be admired more. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for joining me on Purposely. Really enjoyed it and um, let's stay connected. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. I hope you like what you're hearing, because I sure do.